Welcome to today's podcast from Coastline Calvary Chapel in Gulf Breeze, Florida. We hope this message encourages you and brings light into your life. In chapter 6 of the book of Romans, Paul says that slavery to sin is abolished. And he points out three things. One, he says now we can live free and victoriously. We know the truth and we can choose to embrace it. Number two, we have power to say no to sin. And number three, he actually says in chapter six, there in verse 11, I believe I had, likewise reckon yourself to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So say no to sin, he says. But here's the deal. We all at times say yes to sin. And so there is this struggle that goes on. We have this battle flesh against spirit. Jesus said this to his disciples when he was in the garden with them. He says, watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. And he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh, he says, is weak. And so in Romans chapter 7, Paul shares his personal struggle with sin. In fact, Romans 7, 24, he, he, he says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul struggling. Now, some commentators or scholars would say, well, Paul's talking about before his salvation, that he struggled, and that he had this sense of ongoing kind of turmoil in his heart. But I, I really believe it's after his conversion, because I'm not sure, so sure that sin bothers us so much before we come to Christ. It's when you kind of realize who he is, what he's done, how he's, how he's opened his a love to you and your heart to him. And then you want to, I believe, when you come to Christ, you want to please him. You want to serve him. But there's this, this war that goes on, this battle with the flesh and the spirit, the old nature and the new nature. And Paul really speaks about this issue here in Romans chapter 7. And I want to give a simple kind of breakdown of the chapter uh, very simple. Verses 1 through 6 is kind of the law and, and how it awakens us to sin. And then the rest of the chapter, verse 7 on, is this struggle that we all have internally. In verses 1 through 6, Paul is, is addressing, I believe, Jewish believers there in Rome, those who are under the law, those like Paul was at one time, always trying to please God by keeping the law, but living under the guilt of it, the sort of oppression and shame and failure that comes in your life when you're trying to live up to these standards all the time. So Paul says, the law showed me my need for Jesus. The law served to lead me to salvation 
in Christ. And he gets real personal when he gets down to verse 24 about his battle, his struggle, and, and how he, you know, was always dealing with this issue of sin in his life. And I want you to hear this. Uh, please listen. And I'll take a drink of water before I say this. Every believer struggles with temptation, with sin, with the flesh, and with self. Well, except for pastors <laughs> and leaders, right? Right. We all struggle. And Paul lets us know he, he's no different. I'm no different. You're no different. And we all have certain, you know, things we struggle with and also things we struggle with with others. Expectations, preconceived ideas, feelings about things, of what we need or what we expect from other people. And sometimes it can be very difficult. You know, wives, they have expectations of husbands. I want my husband to be sweet. You ever hear that? I want him to be kind. I want him to talk more. None of you guys ever have that problem? I, I want him to be, you know, organized and romantic and perfect shape like Pastor John. <laughs> and, and people who come to church have expectations. I expect the people to be friendly to them. To welcome them, to be kind and loving, to pray for them. And the pastor to, should shake my hand and smile and be concerned about my problems and know my name. I had a guy come up to me one time, and the true story, and he kind of gruffly and looked me in the face and said, uh, you don't know my name, do you? And I looked at him. I didn't know his name. I said, no. And my wife walked up. He goes, your wife knows my name. I go, really, Lynn, what's his name? She goes, I don't know his name. <laughs> so we didn't know his name. But the expectation was there. I thought, look, dude, I'm lucky if I know my grandkids' names most of the time. But there's expectations. And I get that, but, but not everybody has the best day every day, do they? Sometimes it just lands on a Sunday. And the church is not a museum of saints, but it's really a hospital for all of us sinners. And we're all struggling with things in our lives and walking through this, and, and we need to be honest enough to admit that. Now, that's no excuse if you walk in church and a, you know, an usher punches you out or something. Uh, that would be a little over the top. Or ignores your needs or, or is rude, but, but we're all imperfect and church obviously is not well it's not heaven it's far from it and even the great apostle paul had struggles and if you're here today and say say i never struggle with the sin our flesh i, I never have that problem well you're either in a coma or you're completely deceived or as it would say in first john 2 4 uh, look, look at this. For He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments. What does the Bible say? You're a liar! That's what it says. That's not my words. Well, I don't ever say it, liar. We all do. 
We come to Christ and he takes away the guilt, he takes away the shame and the burden of sin. But I believe we also become a target of the enemy because now we have been set free from his kingdom, from his clutches. So we all struggle with our sin. And you can turn to legalism. Well, I'll just, you know, I'll, I'll be a good person. I'll make sure everyone knows how good I am and how bad they are because I, I'm, I'm one who you know, keeps all the rules. I'll be holy. But it's frustrating because you can't do it. And some people say, well, I'll just do my best. I'll do what I can. I'll, I'll sort of set my own standards. And where I struggle, where I have sin, well, so what? God understands. And Paul deals with both of these and ends up saying, oh, oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? In Romans chapter 7, verse 18, we have an interesting verse. It says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, well, I do not find. He says, there's nothing good within me. So, so let's look at the, the text together. Look, look at chapter 7. Look at verse 1. Do you not know, brethren, for I speak to those who know the law, that the law has dominion over man as long as he lives. Paul grew up under the law. Paul grew up as a young man being taught the law by one of the greatest teachers of his day. He became a Pharisee. And, and Paul knew the Jewish law backwards and forwards. And he tried himself to, to keep it, to be blameless under it. And I'm sure he struggled. He studied it. He, he practiced it. He, he, he taught it to others. And it was not just the law that, that Moses had passed down, the Ten Commandments, but all the traditions and all the things they had added to the law. And tradition can be a powerful thing, the, the way that you're brought up, the, the way that you're steered as a young person, the way you practice rituals and festivals and feasts and ceremonies. And law, he says, has, has dominion. It has, it has leadership over you. It's what controls your life and the decisions that you make. It, it has it over you as long as you live, he says. But then he gives this illustration about a woman being married and her husband dying, and she's no longer under his dominion. When you die, law has no power over you anymore, right? I mean, the law 98 is 45 miles an hour as you come out of Gulf Breeze. When you die, you don't have to do that speed limit anymore. <laughs> You're set free. April 15th is what day in America? Tax day. And it's coming. It's not that far away. 
But if you die before April 15th, man, you're off the hook. You don't got to pay those taxes. No speed limit, no taxes. But if you don't die, oh, you're going to pay those taxes. So, no, I'm not going to do it. Oh, you'll do it. The, the IRS will squeeze the life out of you. You're going to die one way or the other. But you're going to pay those taxes. So Paul uses this example. Look at verse 2. It's, it's a powerful example. He says, For the woman who has a husband is bound by law to her husband as long as he lives. But if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband lives, she marries another man, she, she'll be called an adulteress. But if the husband dies, she's free from the law. So that she's no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Death brings freedom. No matter how bad your husband is, if he dies, you're free from him. Now, I, I do want you to and note this. We'll talk about it in a second. This is not Paul giving instruction on New Testament marriage. He's talking about Old Testament. It's about the law of the Old Testament and the, the marriage bond. And that day, a woman could not walk away from a marriage or divorce her husband. She couldn't come up to him and say, you know, you're not what I expected. Uh, uh, you're lazy. You snore. Your hair fell out. and You gained a lot of weight. I'm out of here. I met a nicer looking Jewish guy down at the synagogue. That, that wasn't possible. You, you would be called an adulteress if you did that. And also you'd be subject to being stoned if you did that as an adulteress. Because adultery in the Old Testament, well, the, the law said you could stone a woman for committing adultery. What he's talking about here is the application is if we have died in Christ to the old man, the old woman, and identified with Christ, then we're free from the law, and now in relationship with Christ, as if the law has died, and now we've remarried the Lord Jesus Christ. We become his bride. And the Bible gives all kinds of pictures of our relationship with the Lord. You know, he talks about, the Bible knows about us being sheep, and he's a shepherd. He talks about us being the body and, and Christ being the head. It talks about us being children and God being our father. But the most intimate picture in all the Bible is that of marriage and how we become the bride and Christ becomes the groom. And it's not a legal thing that keeps us to him. It's an intimate relationship that causes us to fall in love with him. It's a loving relationship, very intimate, very caring, and very personal. So in those days, in the Old Testament time, 
and even on and into the New Testament for a while, a husband could divorce his wife, and in some interpretations, he could do it for almost any reason whatsoever, but the wife could do nothing to get out of the relationship. He could, the husband could say something simple as, you burned the toast. You could write her a certificate of divorce. But a woman could never divorce her husband. Now, the New Testament has a different standard. This is not a teaching about divorce. This is a teaching about being free from the law. But Paul's using an Old Testament law to show how we're free because we died to the law. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus says that immorality would be a reason a woman could divorce her husband. That if a husband has a sexual relationship with, a, with another person, be it hetero or homosexual or whatever, that immorality is a cause, Jesus says, for divorce. Paul expands on that situation in Corinthians and says, a believer married to an unbeliever should stay with the unbeliever if they're willing to stay, don't divorce. And a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm not equally yoked with this person. and He's not a Christian. And we met. He's really nice. And Paul says, no, you stay. But if the unbeliever leaves you because of your Christian faith and because of your commitment to Christ, Paul says in Corinthians, you're, you're free. You're free to leave. The other one I would say in the New Testament that, that has to do with uh, divorce is if you are married and divorced while you're an unbeliever before you come to Christ, he certainly doesn't expect you to go back to the old life. And those are some of the, the three in the New Testament that I believe are pertinent to our culture. Because once you come to Christ, as you know, if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creature, old things pass away, and all things become new. So if I was divorced when I was an unbeliever, I certainly don't try to go back. God, however, does call his children to a high standard in the marriage relationship. In verse 4 here in Romans chapter 7, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to Christ, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit. This is instruction to Jewish believers who had been under the law. The Gentile is not under the law, but the last part of this verse 4 is for Jew and Gentile, and it says we should bear fruit for God. And we should. We should be productive in the kingdom. We should be growing in our faith. We should be maturing in our walk. We should be producing by abiding in His Word and abiding in Christ. The fruit of the Spirit Joy and love and peace, a, a, a inward desire for him, a, a, a telling others about him and, and being part of bearing fruit too, unfortunately, is being pruned by him. That's a, not the fun part. But God comes along and he, he lops off things in our life very carefully, very specifically, in order that we might produce more fruit. 
And it's not, it's sometimes it's a storm. Sometimes it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue that he, he puts us in that causes. I, I know many of you, I know myself, you've been in those situations. You think, God, why is this happening? And then maybe a month or even years later, you look back and you go, oh, now I know why that happened. Because this would have never happened, Lord, if you hadn't have done that. And so God wants us to produce fruit. He wants us to sometimes go through trials and struggles and storms to make us stronger and to bear more fruit. So here in Romans chapter 7, he's saying we're no longer under the law, but we are called that we should bear fruit. In verse 5, for when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which we were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. We, we, we were dominated, he said, by, by, by the flesh, by, by our unconverted life. And we were guilty. We were condemned. It produced strife. It produced all kinds of uh, turmoil. But now, he says, but now, verse 6, we've been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. So now in Christ, not living by legalism, but in a loving relationship with the Lord. It's not that I have to do these things now. It's because I love him and I appreciate what he's done and, and I'm grateful and thankful that it's not I have to, it's now I, I get to. You and I get to serve the one who died for you. And, and the newness of spirit. A fresh new relationship in the Spirit, not based on having to do it, but because we get to do it out of gratitude for the rest of our life. The law was given to reveal the need for salvation. The law was given to show us that I, I can't keep this. It's impossible. The law was given to show us we needed a Savior. That we needed forgiveness. That's why they had blood sacrifices in the Old Testament. Because no one could keep the law, so they needed some kind of sacrifice for their sins. And so they would bring an animal and sacrifice it. Because they couldn't keep the law perfectly. The law was right. The law was good. No, no problem with it but we just can't keep it. The speed limit on 98, it, it, seems, it seems pretty normal for that amount of traffic and, and that narrow strip of land. Nothing wrong with the speed limit. But there's something wrong with me when I'm on that road. <laughs> and there's not much traffic. I, I want to go a little faster. I, I don't understand why some people drive in the passing lane right next to someone else like this. If I'm in a hurry. But nothing wrong with the law. But there is something wrong with me. Paul says, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Verse 7. Well, certainly not. On the contrary, I would have not known sin except through the law. It caused me to see, I, I've got problems. 
For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. Did you know in chapter 7, if you read through the whole chapter, Paul uses the word I and me and my and myself 47 times. Because Paul is saying, I got some problems. Me, myself, I. I I can't do it on my own. The, The law is like a mirror. It shows us what we're really like. Now, most of you, you got up this morning, before you came to church, you got dressed, and you looked in the mirror, right? Well, most of you. I'm looking around. Maybe some of you didn't, but most of you did. (laughs) And you looked in that mirror, and you went, oh, my gosh. I I was driving down Highway 98 the other day, and and I was behind this person. I won't mention the gender. And they... (laughs) They kept kind of swerving. They kept slowing down, speeding up. And I kept thinking to myself, is this person texting? Are they drinking? What are they doing? So I finally got up next to this person, and they were makeuping. <laughs> and, and I looked over, and I thought, it's like a 45-mile-an-hour makeup salon. Had all this stuff up on the dashboard and over here, and I'm thinking, this is insane. (laughs) The the, the law, like a mirror, it doesn't doesn't clean, it doesn't heal, it just reveals. And boy, it's a powerful revealer. The mirror does its job, doesn't it? And the law does its its job. And Paul says, he, he boils it down, he mentions something that's very interesting. He could have mentioned all kinds of things about the law, but he mentions... You shall not covet. Uh-oh. I blew it. Of all the commands Paul could have picked out, he chose this one to make his point. Because the law is not just external. He says it's also internal. I could be coveting right now and you wouldn't know it. And Paul says it also is something within my heart, within my attitude, within my desires. Law is not just a physical law, it's a spiritual one. And did you know that Americans are probably one of the most major coveters in the world? I mean, we are always thinking we need more to be happy. I need a bigger house, I need, I need a bigger car, I need, I need nicer this. And, and if we're not careful, we're, we're in the process of raising a bunch of powerfully covetous children they just want more and more and more and more it's a crazy thing i'll never forget the first time i i our refrigerator died the other day it's just dead it's no longer under the law of john and lynn it no longer has to serve us anymore had a repairman out three times it was beeping. It was making this weird. It was constantly running. The guy came out. I placed the motherboard. Oh, I placed the inverter board. Oh, I replaced this. It's dead. It's dead. So we have to go down to um, Lowe's and, you know, buy a refrigerator. And it's, it's, a, it's a bummer. You know, you think this thing's going to last forever. But, but, but it, it, it doesn't. And I was telling the guy, he goes, well, what, what, what happened to it? Oh, it did this and this. And he goes, they don't last forever. 
I go, yeah, I, I get it. And my, my wife says, what do you do with the old ones when you pick them up? He goes, oh, we put them on the truck and they take them away. And, you know, we don't refurbish them or try to sell them or anything. I said, I said, well, you know, one time I had an experience in Haiti with a refrigerator. He looked at me, he goes, really? What kind of experience? I said, well, the first time I ever crossed this certain river in Haiti was in a refrigerator. He goes, what? I said, yeah, this refrigerator, they put two of us in it and the guy towed us across in a rope. And I said, it's not, not the mode of transportation I necessarily appreciate it, but it got me across the river. And, and I say all that to say this. In Haiti, they seem pretty happy with the stuff they have. I, I visited there many, many times. I go to church, and little kids come up and want to give me stuff. I'm thinking, no, 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 don't give me stuff. You have nothing. And, and, and Guatemala, I remember we were there one time doing a medical clinic and all these little kids, we had given them out candy and little prizes and stuff. And it was amazing to me. They were handing them to their brothers and sisters. Can I have another one for my brother? And I began to think about, boy, we're a lot different over here in America. And, and Paul brings up this issue. He says, I was trying to keep the law. And when I got to this one about thou shalt not covet, the last one on the list, he realized, man, I, I don't keep it. And it reveals who I am. It reveals my heart. It, there he says, what shall we say then? Is, is the law sin? Well, certainly not, verse 7. On the contrary, I would not have known it. For I would have not known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. But sin, verse 8, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me a manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was to bring life, I found to bring death. Therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy, just and good. The law does what it's supposed to do, he says. It reveals. It doesn't save, but it certainly reveals very well, like a mirror, like an x-ray. If you go to the hospital and they do an x-ray on your lungs or, or, or some internal organ, it, it exposes what's inside but it doesn't heal anything. It just reveals it. He says, that's what the law did to me. It, it showed me my, my great need. It exposed my covetousness. The law is spiritual. It deals with that which is inside. Ha has then what is good become death to me? Verse 13, has the law become death? Certainly not, but sin. The law is still a good thing. That it might have Pure sin was producing death in me through what is good, so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. It just made it all the more as the law was there. For we do know that the law is spiritual. Yeah, it, it deals with my attitudes and my actions and my covetousness. But I'm carnal, sold under sin. Verse 15, for what I'm doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that what I do. It's kind of like the diet law. You ever been under the diet law? Trying to lose weight? That which I do, I hate. 
You know, it's after six, you're watching something on TV, you're not supposed to eat, and you go, there's like a pack of graham crackers in there. Like, it's like, <laughs> and somehow the peanut butter's sitting right next to it. Thinking, oh God, deliver me <laughs> from this body of sin. If then, then I do, verse 16, what I will not do to do, I agree with the law that it's good. He goes into this whole thing. He said, but now it's no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is my flesh, verse 18, nothing good dwells for that to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good, ah, that's my struggle. I can't find it. I can't do it. Beware of looking to rules, regulations to make you holy. He says you can't do it. Keep the Sabbath. And I've had people come to me and, 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 and say, how come your church doesn't worship on Saturday? That's the Sabbath. Would it make me more holy if I worshiped on Saturday? Well, that's what the Jews do. Well, not, not the ones that came to Christ after the resurrection. They all met on the first day of the week. Or something else you might get hung up on. Well, how were you baptized? In the name of Jesus, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Where were you baptized? Were you baptized in our church or another church? Were you sprinkled, immersed, forwards or backwards? <laughs> Some people just go straight down. <laughs> how do you pray? How often? Do, what do you do with Scripture? Do you memorize it? Do you meditate on it? Uh, you, you can't trust the outward. Those aren't bad things but they're not salvatory things. What's on the inside? Paul, 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 Paul is dealing with that whole thing with, with those who are free from the law. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. Nothing comes out of me that's really good. It's like C.S. Lewis once said, you, you can't make a good omelet with bad eggs. We're bad eggs. There's nothing good. The answer is not within. It's not, it's not looking deep inside. That's some of the whole New Age stuff and some of the crazy stuff that keeps re, you know, re, reoccurring over and over again in our uh, culture is you know, this whole look within. When I look within, you know what? It's pretty depressing. I say look to Jesus. I think that's what Paul says here. He says in verse uh, 19 of Romans chapter 7, for the good I will to do, I do not, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. You ever disappoint yourself? I, I, I do. I, 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 I know that I can't trust in myself. I have to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. We all have problems with, with weakness of the flesh. And Paul says in verse 20, Now I do not what I will not do is no longer it's who, but sin dwells in me. I find then a law that is evil present with me to the one who wills to do good. Every believer has a fight. As an unbeliever, it's okay. Didn't cause me much problem. But with Christ, you have the Holy Spirit that sensitizes your heart and your mind and your conscience. 
He says, I, I find this that in the law, the evil is present, verse 21, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, this flesh, bringing me into captive to the law of sin, and, which is in my members. O, o wretched man that I am, who will deliver me, he says, from this body of death? And Paul says, I struggle with weakness, my inward sin. My, and, and even though he's still saved, he, he struggles with it. So, so who will deliver me, he says. I'm a wretched man. I'm exhausted. I disappoint myself. I'm, I've tried everything in the law. He answers this question. He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord, so then with the mind, I, I myself serve the law of God. But with the flesh, I, I serve the law of sin. So what do I do? How, how do I resolve this issue? Well, you, you'll have to come next week for chapter 8 as we get into the answer. <laughs> no, let, let's read a verse from chapter 8. He, he goes into the, the answer to how he, he gets free from this dilemma that we all struggle with. He says, well, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And then he, then he, he, he gives us God's part, and there, there's always our part, you know. Uh, Len and I were talking to a couple this week we had lunch with, and they were talking about some of the difficulties they had in life and some of the things that had been going on, how they felt like God did this and God did that, and he, he took this and he took that. And, and after we had talked for a while, I, I, I made this statement, and I believe it's so true because it was like, for some reason, I began to perceive God was kind of mad. And I looked at him and I said, well, you know, God always has his part, but we also have our part that we have to do. He won't do ours and we can't do his. There, there is therefore no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus. That, that, that's part of our part to come to him. And then who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. And so there is that fight. Yeah, there are those stumbling times, but there is this part that I have to play. And that's part of the tension that goes on, I think, till we get to heaven. Learning how to walk according to the Spirit. To not just open myself up to the flesh all the time. To not just, as we shared last week, use, you know, 1 John 1, 9 as my, my life verse. Well, if I confess my sins, he's faithful. But, but to live according to the Spirit. And Paul begins to give us this, this answer, if you will, as we traffic through uh, this, this chapter 8, where he talks about getting free from this indwelling sin. And I think we'd all agree that the law is good. I mean, nothing wrong with the Ten Commandments. Nothing wrong with a lot of the laws. What's wrong is me. What's wrong is us. And, and fighting this, 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 this war that goes on and learning how to walk in the Spirit and recognizing that we can be free from condemnation. And that's a powerful thing we'll talk about. That's where we find rest, where Christ delivers, and I walk in the Spirit and not in the flesh. And a lot of it has to do 
with what Christ has done, his body, his blood, and where I allow him to have control in my surrendered life. So this morning, we're going to remember what Christ has done through the bread and through the cup. And together, we're going to remember what a great Savior we have, not law that we live under. Aren't you glad for that? I mean, Neil mentioned that we brought food offerings. But you didn't bring that offering in here today thinking, thank God I'm able to bring this you know, can of chili and soup because my salvation's dependent on it. They're going to take it down to Billery Baptist and they're going to burn it and the smoke's going to go up to the Lord. No. Some person in need's going to eat a bowl of chili or whatever you brought and God will bless you for that. But it has nothing to do with you being holy. It has everything to do with God changing your heart to be a giver. And praise God he does that. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Join us again as we dive into the scripture, going verse by verse here at Coastline Calvary Chapel.